the airy mountain, down the rushing glen. We dare not go a-hunting, for fear of little men. Do other races exist just beyond the boundaries of humankind? Legends of their existence persist across many cultures. So, what are these creatures? Beings of myth and magic? Guardians of nature? Or malign entities from darkest folklore? Join your guides Dan Baines and Fiona Marr in their quest for the truth. Hello, welcome to the Fairy Podcast episode number six. I'm your host, Dan Baines, and I'm joined by my co-host... Fiona Marr. Hello, everybody. Well, here in Wales, we're still in deepest lockdown, probably far deeper than you are in England, Dan. How's it been going? I'm just getting sick of it, to be honest. Uh, I really wish it would just end and I can get on with my life. On a positive note, I'm starting to feel in a bit of a creative surge again now the weather has changed, which is quite nice. But what about you? Have you sort of felt any changes at your end or is it just still oppressive? I have got <laughs> lots. No, I've been doing a lot of work. Um, entering writing competitions, writing, finally getting on with book two to The Last Changeling, which everyone's finally. Really been nagging me about for years. Um, and uh, I'm hoping to set up a writer's retreat primarily for writing about fairies. But I didn't uh, know about this. This yeah. New news. So that's a whole new thing, but I will be uh, unveiling that hopefully in the next month or so. So maybe the next podcast, I'll tell you all about it. Fantastic. I mean, I've been in a strange way as well. I've also been more creative on the fairy front than I have on any other aspects of my work. I think it's mainly due to all of like just the going out into the local countryside and the nature. It feels like I'm kind of reconnecting again. So I'm starting to get lots of, I don't know, sort of inspiration from nature and things around me. And I've been just naturally uh, just drawn towards doing more fairy based artwork, which is great. So I'm currently working on a few new sculptures, which I sort of sent you a few images over this morning, didn't I, Fiona? Uh, yeah, they, um, excellent as well. Really, really like looking at those. Yeah, in a, in a change, these aren't actually dead fairies. These are live ones for a change. <laughs> so, but they, they're Very the... Good. They take into account the the correlation between a lot of reports of how well how similar alien reports are to fairy folklore reports. So the fairies, even though they have got a very um, natural and earthy look to them, they do have more sort of alien type traits to them in their facial features. Absolutely, yeah. I think if you look at uh, Brian Froud's work, you've got very alien looking fairies in some of his paintings uh, yeah. they've got those those swept eyes you know the the sort of almond shaped eyes almost like cat's eyes mm. and and very much sort of the enlarged skull and the very pointy small face yeah um and i i have i mean i've written about this connection before 
because it lost time and abduction you know it, people are people seem happier to accept that it, it is done by aliens than ever would be if it was done by fairies yeah well, i think know, we've covered this in previous shows yeah, haven't we, we have but indeed yeah. it's just that fairy the fairy folklore is more frowned upon and just looked at as a little bit strange and obviously it's been ruined by the whole disney uh, aspect of fairies making it all a little bit girly and silly uh, to most people so the alien um, stance is a lot stronger but on these country walks i've been going around i've just been seeing places and things i've never noticed before and obviously over the last three months summer has been creeping in and things have been changing and growing and i've just suddenly seen all these locations i thought to myself if i had a, a model of a fairy that I'd created, I could go and take it to these locations and photograph it in what would be its sort of natural environment. So that's like a little side project I'm working on at the moment. And it's not going to be any kind of a hoax, is it? They're just going to be straight <laughs> photographs. <laughs> I don't know. It depends. How, <laughs> it, it depends how good the photographs are. Um, so you never know what might be in the background. True, could attract yeah. a mate. Yeah, <laughs> could be, it could indeed. Could be so oh, attractive. I'm yeah, 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 absolutely. But there's all these really odd trees that grow. Um, I'm, I don't know what type of trees they are. I'm going to have to research them. But the roots almost grow into a bowl. So if you can imagine, it's like a, it looks like a, a mossy bowl with maybe three trees growing out of it. And there's there's tons of them all over the place. And they have all these little arches. So it's like you know the fairy door craze that kind of gripped the country yeah. a few years ago. It's like that, but these are purely natural bowls and um uh, doorways into trees um and they just look they look amazing so as part of my project i'll be photographing those and hopefully taking this new fairy sculpture out which is fully articulated so i can pose it in any pose i want and get photographs of them in their natural environment that sounds wonderful that so sounds we'll see really and uh, the other day as well, it's worth mentioning, um, I it was m- my birthday. It's obviously your birthday soon as well, isn't it, Fiona? Yeah, what was it, it we certainly sort of, is. Yeah, we sort of, well, Gemini's but not Gemini's, if you want to go yep. over that in a moment. <laughs> oh, right. Well, there's this whole idea that actually there are more than 12 signs to, to the Zodiac. And there's been this, this has been going around for years because we have 13 lunar months. So how come only 12 signs to the Zodiac? Um, there is supposedly we've got an off, opposite one in Sagittarius and it's something like Omphalos or something like that. I've probably quoted that wrongly. But our one is supposed to be Arachne uh, and that's the sign of the spider. And uh, Arachnids are supposed to have a certain, um, let's say, an eye into the other worlds and uh, quoted very often as being quite psychic. And one of the most famous Arachnids was Sir Alec Guinness, apparently. Um, and he apparently every movie he made makes some sort of off the cuff remark that would end up being remarkably prescient. And probably the most chilling was when he said to James Dean, get rid of that Porsche or you'll be dead in a week. Which ironically was a spider. And yeah. did it not have 13 written on it? I'm not sure. I'm yeah, sure not it sure. had a number on it. But there we are. So very, very odd. And we fall um, right into that, don't we? we both, both you and we I do, yes, are um, yes. in this arachne kind of yeah, yeah, sign. In the, 
which is interesting absolutely very very odd but there you go yeah so anyway back to fairies yes i did go go for this walk on my birthday and i'd just been purchased a 4k camera like a little camera on a gimbal and i took it up this hill which i go up you know when it's summer and if anyone's seen the film legend the tom cruise film with the you know the devil in with tim curry as that really iconic large red devil with the horns there was all of this pollen coming from the trees and it was um, i've recently found out it was from the female poplar trees which is loads up there but there was no wind and all of these pollen particles were floating in the air and the camera because it was in 4k just caught it and it just looked exactly like the sort of starting scenes of a legend and it was so still and quiet we were the only people up there and i said to my wife i said if we're ever going to see a fairy tonight would be the perfect (laughs) night for it but my boys were making too much of a noise and running around so i think they would have scared any potential fairies away and also you wanted to see them so that would have possibly negated the whole thing true had you not said that Mm. and who knows they could well have been watching you but that puts me very much in mind with of, of john hyatt's wonderful photographs of fairies uh he was up in the rossendale area and he saw clouds of midges and things. He took photographs and blew them up and found that they looked like tiny fairies. Yeah. Just absolutely beautiful photographs. What have you been up to? You've obviously, uh, you've been travelling and... Well, I was pre, pre-lockdown. Pre-lockdown when I could, uh, I went off to Ireland to investigate Pat Noon's farm. Now, Pat is a very charismatic Irishman. Uh, he reminds me very much of Tom Bombadil in The Lord of the Rings. He really is like some kind of big, loud, elemental character. Is it a carriage Uh, being pulled by rabbits? (laughs) No, no, not quite. Um, And uh, dear old Pat, his farm is um, quite quite the place. Uh, There's a campsite on it and people, it's reputed that people can't actually stay the night, which is almost like a classic fairy story in itself. Uh, and he had an Italian lady who basically packed up and ran off in the night. You know, this was after she'd paid, by the way. So it was none of that going on. And and quite a few people have been really seriously terrified staying on his farm. And yet we still go. He's He's got this uh, famous fairy field. Um, and it's if you if anyone's on Facebook, have a look, Pat Noon, uh, Pat Noon's fairy field. And there's it's just the most extraordinary place. And there is definitely an atmosphere there. I've written about it. It was in the uh, June edition, June 2020 edition of the Fortean Times. And it's, it's I can't explain it. It is almost like you're, you're walking to somewhere. There's, there's this border and it's almost like you're underwater it's just the oddest feeling Hmm. um it could be land energies i don't know but he was pointing to all the twisted hawthorns and he was saying that they they were dead fairies who were reborn into these twisted thorns they call them fairy thorns and the weirdest thing happened on one tree which i discuss in the interview but just to clear something up i do mention fairy raths now rath is an irish name and it means a fairy fort so it can be a raised piece of land it can be uh they're generally circular and even to this day 21st century most irish farmers will not plow a fairy rath they'll go round it 
and there's there's dire warnings of the consequences of going into a fairy wrath and i actually go into one <laughs> in this film and i can assure you it is me who's returned not a changeling yeah um and there's also a a, a raggedy tree which or raggedy bush now this is a thing in ireland where you would people would go who were ill or had a wish and you tie a ribbon to this tree and then when the, the ribbon rotted and fell off you got your cure which okay. is extraordinary he also mentions the banshee and for people who don't know what a banshee is uh usually a female spirit who wailed around the house when somebody was about to die now again these are usually seen as quite malevolent spirits but pat has an extraordinary take on them completely different but you'll hear all about that in the interview so here I am at Green Hills Farmstay, County Galway. You can possibly hear a bit of wind in the distance. It is a beautiful evening and I'm surrounded in the most glorious rolling Irish countryside. In front of me is a lake, there are reeds and a tree that looks just like a dragon. Uh, I will try and put some pictures up to show you on the website and on the Facebook page. It's quite startling. And the dragon is facing off a figure of the Mother Mary and Christ child that somebody has put in the window of a derelict building here that used to belong to monks. It used to be a retreat for monks here as well. Uh, so it's interesting because the idea of a dragon, dragon is Celtic, is pagan energy. So it's almost like it's saying no this far and no further. And the place it appears to be guarding is the fairy wrath or fort, which is in a nearby hill. So I'm going to now talk to Pat Noon about his farm. So Pat, when did you become aware of the fairies on your farm? When I was about five years old. And what was your first encounter with the fairies? When I was... My first encounter with the fairies was when I was here herding sheep, minding sheep, lambing sheep down at night. That was my first encounter with the fairies. I was about 14 years of age. And what actually happened? I met them down on that hill where we were just looking at there. They were sitting down there and I was looking at the sheep and they asked me, would I sit down and join them? Oh, that's basically dangerous. Did you join them? I did. I actually did join them. And at 14, I suppose 15, I was young enough, but not that scared at that age as I had been out fishing and hunting all my life as well. I was on that was my lifestyle. So they asked me, would I take a drink with them? And of course I took a drink with them, which was not supposed to happen. You were supposed to never come back from the theft of drinking with the fairies. I took a drink with them, listened to their music, had a bit of fun with them. And nothing ever happened to me. And what did they look like? The fairies is in the very same image as yourself or myself. If you are five foot six, the fairies will be five foot six. If you are seven foot, they will be seven foot. My daughter seen them up on the rat there. She was six, which is a five, which is about two years ago. I was feeding sheep here and I told her to go up onto the rat out of the way and not get knocked over with the sheep. And she's seen the fairies as small little people up there. So it's in the image of your own eye. We're doing a fire walk down here below to the interest of the fairy world one night. And four shaman, shamanic people seen them and nine or ten ordinary people seen them that night. And they were all big, big, big fairies that walked down into the, the portal. 
Yeah, because lots, lots of people have said that fairies are just human size, yeah? They're human size, and not to be condi- mixed up with uh, the little wings or that that's on them, but they can be small as well, because there was pygmies in Ireland, which is small. And as the Irish race of people, we were the smallest race of people in Europe. As the British Army had a, re- a regiment called the Midget Force, mostly taken up by Irish and Scotch. So, we, it's a it's a big thing to say this that the Irish turns things around, that they're small, but they are the same size as ourselves. Okay, so so far today we've seen the Wrath, which I've explained is the fairy fort, and that felt very magical. That's a place where people tie ribbons to the tree. And you had a visit from an Iranian princess, I understand. I had, an Ara- I had a prince from an Iranian princess here three days ago or four days ago as well. And what did she think of it? Uh, she was very amazed at it, as her culture is not too unsimilar to our culture, Iran. Iran, is, she told me, has a big ancient history, very ancient. And although she said, I thought it was the genie in the bottle, she said no. But it even goes back farther. The Iranian culture goes back way farther. And some connection with Ireland she could feel that she was in Ireland and around this area in her past life. Oh, that's interesting. But we've often said that there are so many cultures all over the world that have fairies. We often on the fairy podcast, you know, talk about other cultures and their fairies. But um, also, you say there's a collapsed tunnel, the fairy wrath. There is a collapsed tunnel in the fairy wrath, as you're seeing yourself. I went in on it when I was young myself. I crawled in halfway, but I came out again. Yeah, I think that was very wise. It was wise. It was wise, but it's there for the naked eye to see. Yeah, yes, you can definitely see the depression where it was at the Wrath. But also, you've got a cairn on your land. I understand it's so far, reportedly, the only cairn in Galway. It's the only cairn in Galway, although I'd be very slow in saying that in case another farmer comes and says he has two of them. But (laughs) I have no one has contradicted me yet. And if there is, please do contradict me. I would love to see another one. But this is the only one in Galway. There is a good few curtains in Sligo. But anywhere there's a curtain, there's magic. The curtain was built thousands of years after the fairy culture. I have standing stones here, which is older than the curtain. The curtain is a place where an Irish chieftain is buried. Yeah, in England we call them barrows, but they're very much the same thing. They're a huge handmade mound yes. piled high across a body, over a body. But also, uh, there's a place here you call the Banshee Stone. Tell me about the Banshee Stone. The Banshee Stone is down in the valley between the two hills. It's a big stone. I have seen the Banshee sitting there on a few occasions. I didn't speak to her. I was slightly scared, although my father told me he walked down the roadway with her shoulder to shoulder when he was here. Wow, and you see, we're brought up to think that banshees are quite a dangerous thing, and you don't see her like that at all, do you? I do not. As death, 50, well, 100 years ago, it was very hard to die if you were dying of bowel cancer, lung cancer, brain cancer. You would be roaring for three days. We had no medicines. The churches wouldn't let us have medicines. There was medicines on the, under our hedge groves to make us sleep, but we couldn't give them. So people was maybe three weeks minding a sick person in a village. You would have the whole village minding in rotation. The person would be tied to the bed. My father told me he remembered it. 
and some night then a, f- a farmer would be coming into mine to relieve another person and he'd hear the banshee and he'd say I'm after hearing the banshee and the house would take out the whiskey and they'd have a drink they knew death was coming and death was nice and handy yeah so it was a good release so banshee is never a bad thing not a bad thing at all and when I seen the banshee she looked as a young maiden not an old hag oh right that's interesting also you've got your standing stones as well can you tell me about those I have a few standing stones down on the down on the field I have one with an eagle's head one is a fertility stone and I'm going to show you where a girl texted me how those results from it so <laughs> I'm not making this up no. and she was from the continent of India this girl which is working in a nearby hospital and she wanted a baby and she now she's pregnant yeah? I'll show it to you with my the thing I'm not that good at phones but I will show it to you she was an Indian girl I don't I don't house cleansing on her property and then I was telling her about the fertility stones and that she said I have to go out to you and I do my healings on her as I'm a healer as well and I do healings and she's expecting and I have another girl in Australia that has a baby that came last year. So. That's fantastic. That's lovely news. So do you, I mean, we did a, a, a thing at a white thorn tree and you were telling me that this null tree was basically a fairy that had died and come back as the tree. Yes. So tell me, so you use your fairies in the healing? I have a connection with the fairies in my healing. I have healed a lot of people. I don't say what I heal or I won't say to give because it may not work for everybody, but it does work. The, the tree, any tree, any bush I have down here is gnarled. And that is a fairy that has died and came back as a white-thorn tree. I done an exchange of energy cleansing on myself and yourself. I have the words to say it. You felt you said you felt tired when you came, and now you don't. No, I feel fantastic, actually. It is an amazing... There is definitely something here, and I really urge anybody to come and feel it for yourself. It's an extraordinary atmosphere. Um, it, you know, I came here after a long drive. Uh, yeah, I was excited to come here and see what was going on, but I did one thing that the fairy portal, it's called, isn't it? A fairy portal where the black thorn meets the white thorn, and it's standing over three stones again, which three is magic. Magic. Yeah, and and uh, so this was another thing because Pat has to kind of go in first and open the portal. And I stood there and I was closing my eyes and I was touching this tree and it felt as if the tree was moving in the breeze. It just was not moving at all. You can bear that out, can't you? It wasn't moving. It wasn't moving and I wouldn't put anything into your head when I was coming down the avenue. I told you that. I let you experience it yeah. yourself. The fairies was recorded two years ago by an English couple that has a special app on their phone talking about me. <laughs> Brilliant. That's fantastic. And the wrath, as I say, again in folklore, most people are told to leave wraths well alone. And I would generally say, unless you're on Pat's farm with Pat, don't go near a fairy fort. I don't think it's ever a good idea. Uh, and like I say, when you're here... Pat will lead you around and he'll show you because you seem to have a foot in both camps. You seem to be almost like um, a pathfinder for the fairies, well, for humans to come to the fairies. I am. And I'll tell you why as well. It's not that I'm trying to make money out of it or anything like that. And I'm not going to say that this green, this greenness that has come over the world in the last three or four or five years the fancy people going around talking about green energy and green this the fairies was 
a green party before anybody. They kept trees sacred with a little bit of fear attached, which was no harm. They kept sacred trees, wells opened, rivers cleaned. That's all they're asking me to do. Continue on the work on this farm as it should be. Keep agriculture alive, not poisoning us. That's perfect. Thank you very much, Pat Noon. Brilliant. Really enjoyed my tour around your farm. Thank you. Thank you and delighted to have you here. You're listening to the Fairy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fairy Podcast. Right, we're now going to discuss um, something rather interesting, uh, which is probably going to turn into one, one of our discussions that goes off on a tangent for a while <laughs> because it's so deep and it can cover so many aspects of fairy folklore. And that is the connection with shadows and fairy folklore. Isn't that right, Fiona? Absolutely. Um, I mean, the whole idea of shadow stealing is really interesting. I mean, Obviously, you think of Peter Pan, but it goes back a bit more than that. And apparently, um, the shadow sting or the theft of some of the shadow, it's part of Romanian folklore of the undead, which kind of figures out with this whole idea of, you know, vampires and not being seen in mirrors. Um, so that that ties up. Um, and I've been trying to find out more and more stuff. Apparently, uh, more Eastern European countries are into this idea of shadow stealing. Uh, but it wasn't till 1814 um, when a French aristocrat called Aldebert von Schmiso, he wrote a novella called Peter Schlemiel's Miraculous Story. And in this, basically, Schlemiel sells his shadow to the devil for a bottomless wallet. And uh, he, he then finds that a man without a shadow gets shunned by society and uh, the woman he loves rejects him. And uh, he's he's basically, he, he's lost, you know, he doesn't know what to do. Um, and then the devil comes back and says, I'll tell you what, I'll sell you back your shadow for your soul. Now, Schlemiel is an old Yiddish word that basically people might have heard. And it means somebody who's an absolute, bungler completely incompetent person but originally it meant friend of god so peter schlemiel being a friend of god turns down the offer uh and then goes on a world tour <laughs> he just goes out but very much like you which is really really interesting he seeks solace in nature and he finds some kind of reconnection um he's helped by these seven league boots which also are a great feature of fairy stories you put these boots on and each step takes you seven leagues so that's how that helps him on his world tour but when he gets ill um that's when he's reconciled with all the people around him who look after him and nurse him back to health and uh in his sickness they don't even bother that he hasn't got a shadow which i think is very sweet and then he goes back to nature and he finds his own better self um, and it's really interesting because this same story is taken up by a guy called Schwizabel, and he did a, a film in 2004, um, an animation about a man who sells his soul to the devil. And um, he ends up, he, he, he travels the world, and he ends up in Indonesia where they do all, you know, the shadow puppets? Yeah. 
and he finds he can manipulate the puppets directly because his shadow isn't there to interfere with it. So it actually becomes a plus point for him. So he becomes the ultimate but, shadow puppeteer yes, by absolutely. not casting his own shadow. Yes, yeah. isn't that clever? It is, very then, clever. Then in 1847, you've got Hans Christian Andersen who wrote uh, The Shadow. So the ultimate fairy storyteller tells, tells the story about The Shadow. And um, this chap's in Africa and uh, he, he watches his shadow one night and he goes to bed and he assumes the shadow will go to sleep with him. Anyway, he wakes up the next day to find the shadow is gone and he's got a new one. How he knows, I don't know. But anyway, so he's he's a writer. He's an intellectual. He travels the world and he has a lovely old time. And then years later, there's a knock on the door and it's his shadow, but it's half human. And he invites him in and they have a great long talk. And he says, oh, how wonderful people are, how great the world is. And his shadow is like very much like the Jungian shadow, very negative. And he's like, oh, oh no, people are tricksters. Life is hard. It's all horrible. And uh, so they, they kind of become friends, even though they're a bit yin and yang. But interestingly, ever since he meets the shadow, he starts getting thinner and paler and the shadow gets more and more human and stronger until it comes to the point where the writer's half dead and the shadow says look we need to take you somewhere to get you cured wouldn't it be fun if i were the man and you were the shadow we just do it for a bit till we get there so he reluctantly accepts and they get wherever they're going the shadow falls in love with this wonderful princess and turns to the man and says look if you become my permanent shadow I'll give you this fantastic place in the palace that will be wonderful. And the guy thinks about it and he says, no, I can't accept that. So his shadow has him executed. So that's a very, very dark little is, story. I've never even heard of that story. That's yeah. like, it shares a lot of parallels with a lot of um, stories in, in modern culture. Like, um, have you, did you watch Tales from the Loop that's just been on? No, I haven't. It's got really nothing to do with fairy folklore, but it's just tales of this area around a sort of a, a testing station which is called the loop it's almost like the cern facility in switzerland mm. i suppose but these two boys find a pod in the woods it's just like a, a globe with a door in it and when you go in it it switches your soul around with the other person on the outside so they Ugh. swap over one guy is really sporty and strong and the other guy is really not very sporty a bit geeky and clever so they swap over and the the strong guy persuades the geeky guy to swap bodies, um, which they do. But then he doesn't want to swap back, and he, yeah, yeah. Then it goes down that same route, and ends up with the other, you know, the other guy dying basically, and this other guy trapped in this other person's body forever, and having to live his life without anyone knowing about oh. it, which is very similar. Uh, still, I'm very yeah. dark as well. The whole, ep I put it this way: I wouldn't recommend anyone who is slightly depressed at the moment to go and watch the whole season because it is painfully depressing mm. the whole soundtrack and the the music to the ep to the series is by philip glass the uh, the composer the piano um composer who is quite well known for his quite melancholic soundtracks mm -hmm. which plays throughout the whole thing and it just gives a really dark miserable slightly feels like it should be a happy show but it's really really depressing how, how many fairy stories the original ones not the disney ones have terrible endings they do you yeah. know they yeah do. And the shadow thing is the shadow thing is very very interesting though if you think about it a shadow is something that 
proves that we're actually in this plane of existence or dimension so the sun shines on us and we cast a shadow so could it be that if you had a fairy who was disguised in human form wouldn't cast a shadow because they're not from this dimension could that yeah that's almost uh well it, yeah you you'll never find out if a vampire casts a shadow because they can't go out they go outside no but yeah. they don't have a reflection yeah. but um, but another yeah. name for fairies are the people who stand sideways to the sun oh yeah I've and they are well. yeah. yeah so they are not supposed to really cast shadows anyway yeah but shadows indeed is to do with dimensionality without your shadow you're not 3d as you said exactly um and also there is this this kind of um idea that the shadow really does represent the soul then we get into the whole Jungian thing of the shadow the most sort of gross and not really proper way i could explain it would be mr hyde to our dr jekyll Right. You know, the, the dark part of human nature mm. um, and the bit where the ego kind of projects all the things you hate about yourself onto other people. But that's a very sort of gross explanation. Really do look it up. Yeah. But uh, but about shadows, you've got a fascinating clip to play, haven't you? I have, yes. It's from a, a very well-known um, documentary, which both you and I have watched numerous times, called The Fairy Faith. Um, it's John Walker. He's a Canadian um, documentary maker, and he's won lots and lots of awards. And I'm really hoping he'll agree to be on a future show, because I think that would be a fascinating talk with him. Yeah, and this account, which, I mean, we could retell the story, but I think it's just best if um, we play the clip. So uh, the actual, yeah. the guy who yeah. actually experienced it explains it himself. Yeah. He's, he's a construction worker from Glasgow, isn't he? Yep, Steve Oldale. And he has a remarkable story, which includes, funnily enough, a story of a shadow. So we'll listen to that now and we'll discuss it when we come back. Steve Oldale, a construction worker from Glasgow had an unusual experience on Shehalyan, known locally as the Fairy Hill. It was four or five o'clock in the evening. It started getting kind of remarkable, and out of this blue sky, I, I, I kind of wisp a cloud came across, and uh, I, I, gauze-like, I think, would, would describe it. You could, you, know, you could easily see through it, you know, but it you know, kind of just kind of sort of drifted in. Um, and so I was, I was watching that, thinking, "Yes, that's, that's nice, you know, enjoying the scenery." And then um, a very small amount of um, dew vapor sort of came down from that. You know, you could just see the sort of tiny drops. But the sun behind me, Shahalian before me, it cast a rainbow sort of right over Shahalian. It's wonderful. I was, um, you know, I felt privileged to be there. I thought, "This is this is good." This is a, a stream between me and the mountain. Probably about the same distance away as this stream here, about 100 yards perhaps at the most. And then uh, I was kind of tinkling away. And I started to hear it as music, as, you know, I suppose what you'd term as fairy music, um, kind of Irish harp music or sort of some Scottish music of some kind, sort of, sort of stuff. And uh, I, you know, I, was, I was kind of in, almost enraptured, I suppose, you know, thinking, what, you know, what a lucky person I am, uh, you know, being here now. And on the edge of my vision, the, the kind of lower vision, I was kind of looking up at the mountain. It, it, kind of down here at the bottom, I, I kind of caught a movement with my eye, looked down, and there's this, um, 
this, this uh, small, small guy, a wee fellow, I suppose you'd call him, um, be about four foot high. But what it's about is, is rolling my shadow up, is, is at my head. It's about halfway down the head, yeah. Um, it's kind of got it into a tube about so big, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's very busy, business-like, rolling away at, the, at my head. And then kind of lower down, I, I saw it, he kind of looked at me, and then, you know, his eyes dropped. My, my shadow's quite long. 40 yards or whatever but you know I could perceive that his he kind of looked down at my feet and I looked down to my feet and there was his female counterpart a pair of silver shears you wouldn't call them scissors really they're like sort of like sheep shears or something like that old fashioned things and she's working her way around my toe sort of cutting the shadow off of, of my toe uh, you know my, my sensation was like you know like what <laughs> what's going on here you know, this is outrageous um and I looked back at him and you know, kind of checked the scene out. And then, you know, I just, I just sort of went, oi! You know, it's, yeah, it's just, just like that, oi. And uh, he looked at her and she looked at him and poof, you know, we'd gone. You know, just gone. And I, I sort of looked at him, you know, did, you know, did anybody else see that? You know, there's nobody, nobody for miles. You know, my sensation was, well, it was like astonishment, but not, you know, not angry. Not um, frightened or fearsome or anything like that. It was just, you know, like, you know what, you know, cheeky, cheeky wee bastard. That's really, I suppose, is what I thought. Yeah. And what, what did they? Do you remember what they looked like? Do you have a yeah. detail? Oh yeah, I've, um, yeah, uh, great. The, the nearest thing I've seen to them um, is, is these bog people they dug up in the Netherlands with, with a really tanned skin. Their skin was kind of, you know, really like that. And they weren't bearded. Uh, there was some facial hair. And the woman being closer, I could see the facial hair on her, and you know, that was substantial, if you like, but not, not what you'd call bearded. Um, filthy, you know, like... You know, I'm, I'm a builder, my hands get dirty, but these fingernails were... You know, they were seriously, <laughs> seriously in bad shape. You could do with a wash. Uh, the clothes were all made of um, leather of some kind, kind of like chamois leather. The small hats were kind of sewed together quite crudely, kind of a smock tied around the middle with some kind of fabric underneath it. Um, and equally manky, you know, equally sort of covered in, not covered in muck, but like sort of seeped, you know, in, you know deeply ingrained. Yeah, as, as, as if they'd sort of come out of the bog. But they were dry, you know, they weren't wet as if they'd come out of a bog, but, you know, as if they'd been stained by a bog. The bog people really, that really sums them up for me, as you, go, you know, visually, even you know, down to the wizened sort of skin. No, I, don't, I don't think they were trying to do me any favours. You know, it doesn't seem like a favour to somebody to take your shadow away. You know, it sounds like death of some kind, or insanity. Permanent insanity is what I would imagine if they took your shadow. It'd be some kind of crazy thing locked up in a cell somewhere. So I don't really feel that I owe them any favours. And um, you know, perhaps you know, people should know about this. You know, there's all kinds of possibilities for people. Um, and if there are... Um, Creatures from another day that can just disappear and appear at will and um, mess about with our lives. Tinker, yeah, tinker with my life. I think people should be aware of this. Yeah, yeah. not that it seems to happen to many people, but um, it is a possibility. It is a possibility. And you know, I don't think people should um, close their minds to it. Having said that, having my mind open to it, I've um, many times tried to recreate, you know, the kind of feeling I've, I've wandered through the hills in a lackadaisical fashion, you know, waiting for something like this to happen again. But nothing, yeah, 
drawing a blank every time. I've seen rainbows, you know, I've heard streams, but, you know, but I've never heard, you know, like that music. I've never seen a cloud appear from out of a blue sky from nowhere and, um, you know, produce a rainbow to entrance me. But I would like it to happen again, yeah, yeah. I'd like some more, like Encounter, <laughs> just to see what they're about. Wasn't that a really strange story? It almost sends a shiver up your spine in a way if you think about it long enough. Yeah, I th- I love the idea uh, that the the creatures resembled the bog people, like the Tolland man. Yeah, you know this very very leathery skin, very dark, yeah. Aboriginal sort of grown from the land figures kind of thing. I think the idea of rolling up a shadow is very Peter Pan, though. It is. You can roll it up like a piece of cloth, you know. But why would but. you want to... But they are... In effect, they were stealing his shadow. They were just taking mm. the opportunity. And not knowing as well that um, Steve could actually see them. I think that's what actually shocked them into stopping what they were doing. They thought that yeah. they weren't visible. So what would happen if you were just out and someone was just to roll up your shadow and take the shadow away? What would happen? that that obviously it it obviously is a value isn't it 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 obviously is is a value would it shock you into their dimension because you're no longer in a third dimension exactly because we just discussed the dimensionality of shadows Mm. if you don't Mm. have a shadow then you don't belong to the dimension is that just the oh could it be you die i mean that that's part of the idea of peter pan you know um so it it's just really really strange they obviously have some worth um if if the devil or fairies or whichever beings want them um and as much as you know you know people say oh something will steal your soul the idea that something can steal your shadow it just seems creepier because the soul is almost like um it's an abstract concept but your shadow is very real to you and it almost feels like it's more of a direct theft because it's something you've seen. You can't touch it, you know, but you can certainly but see it's it. Yours. It's yours. It's yours. Yeah. yeah. And nobody else's, uh, which obviously your soul would be, you know, but it's an abstract concept, whereas your shadow isn't. Yeah, it's you kind know? of made me think something you know, on the lines of the David Politis uh, stories we discussed last in the last show that obviously a lot of people tend to go missing in woodland so you don't cast a shadow usually in the woods if it's a dull day or even if it is a, sw- a hot day the trees will prevent your shadow from being cast yes. so does the fact yeah. that you don't have a full shadow make you more susceptible to fairy abduction i don't know that's interesting that's a really interesting idea and he was sitting on a sort of as he was talking he was sitting on this little sort of hillock and that made me think very very much of you know these are the sort of places where fairies are supposed to hang out you know um and i'm i'm thinking about you know the times i i had a thing happen which i'll tell you in a minute but you've got this um idea of blind carolan who is the great irish harpist he he's allegedly got all his wonderful ideas by deliberately sleeping on these fairy knolls these raised areas and he got his music from the fairies so O'Carolan, um this was sort of i think 16th 17th century if i'm not wrong um certainly he was around at the same time as vivaldi because somebody pl- 
played him a piece of Vivaldi thinking, you know, you're just this ignorant peasant, you know, blind peasant. And he said, what do you think of that? And Vivaldi played back his answer. And it's known as um, Caroline's Concerto. So, and it's supposed to be brilliant, you know. Um, but I, w- I was um, at Glastonbury, which is a great place. The energies there are fabulous. This is the festival, not the town. Okay. Uh, the festival's at, at Worthy Farm Pilton, which is a good few miles yes, outside of I've the town. I've done it once. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they have a structure made from, you know, the copper pipes that you have for um, plumbing in yes. the UK. So they're a small bore copper pipe. And it was it was crafted into a pyramid, really massive pyramid. You could walk inside and lie under, but it's open, mainly open to the sky. And on every level, there were wind chimes. So you had tiny wind chimes at the top, slightly stronger on the next level or bigger, and slightly longer and bigger next, all the way down till they were all different tones. And I just lay under there, and they were just random sounds until they suddenly became a jig. And I could hear the fastest Irish-style jig you can imagine. And I and at that time, I was just beginning to learn guitar, and I'm listening, I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is brilliant. I really wish I could, you know, replicate this or hear. And I, and I, just, I just said in my mind, slow down. And I heard all this crazy giggling. And I'm lying there, I'm thinking, is this actually happening? Is this real? But yeah. it was definitely what was incoherent jinglings and tinklings, as you can imagine, just formed into this extraordinary music. And it was a mushroom-free and uh, experience. It was. <laughs> it was a mushroom-free experience. Yes. But how interesting is that? But wind and chimes are really very. Weird. You do find them in nearly every sort of esoteric shop, though, don't you? Yes. I mean, we've got wind chimes yeah. in our garden, and it's one of those odd things that you know, maybe you know, at some point nature just interfered with them and create music. But there was no way it could have been. It could have coalesced because there were the really annoying little tinkly ones, you know, and yeah. even they were playing the part. It was brilliant. Yeah, it's and, and I could I couldn't bring it back. It's almost um, it, how can I explain? It was almost another dimension. I couldn't bring it back into this one. That was the feeling I had afterwards. But like I feel, when you dream music, when you have a dream, yes, you, you hear a yes. you hear a song, or you have this yeah. amazing song or music in your head in your dream, and you wake up, you just cannot remember it at all. I've I've had that happen so many times. The most beautiful symphonies, and I actually one point said, "Look, give these to somebody else because I don't deserve them. I can't write them down." Yeah, but they're so beautiful. And uh, one time I was lucid dreaming, and I was actually trying to chase this music, and I couldn't. As I chased it, it got further away. Yeah. So there we are. So I've... anyway, back to the shadow thing. Obviously, the elephant in the room is the whole Peter Pan. Um, connection here because I think that would be most people's experience of um, you know the idea of a shadow being detachable for those who don't know um, the story of Peter Pan by Jerm Barry um, he is peering in at the window in fact I actually think he's inside the nursery of the Darling's home uh, with their three children which itself and is mother- creepy <laughs> yeah it's creepy the mother comes in Peter flies out of the window and she slams the window shut, which she cuts off Peter's shadow and she rolls it up and she puts it in a drawer. 
Now, that it should be Mrs. Darling that did this is very, very interesting. So um, a bit of background on Peter Pan is that in 1902, J.M. Barry wrote um, a story called The White Bird. And only one chapter of that was uh, called Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens. And this is Peter's first appearance. And Peter is a, a week old as a baby. He flies out of the window of his nursery and ends up in Kensington Gardens where the birds teach him how to fly. Now, I don't understand that he could fly already and the birds then teach him, but this is how it's written. And Peter is described as almost a bird, half boy, half bird. And he flies back to his nursery only to find that there's been another child born and he feels completely unwanted. So he goes away. And this is very, very interesting to think about the psychology of Barry. His older brother died in an ice skating accident when he was 14. And I'm sure that Barry grew up with the stories of his brother and may have wondered if his brother came back and saw him, would he feel that Barry himself had supplanted him Hmm. and that he wasn't wanted? Uh, But definitely, J.M. Barry's parents, James Barry or Jim Barry, they always spoke about his brother David as the boy who never grew up. They always spoke of him as a boy. So this is the genesis of the whole Peter Pan story. So it, he wrote that, that The White Bird in 1902. In 1904, he wrote the play Peter Pan. Now, we know it as Peter ba- Pan or The Boy Who Wouldn't Grow Up. But the original title was Peter Pan, The Boy Who Hated Mothers. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the theatrical producer who was responsible for the first stagings of Peter Pan in London and New York, he convinced Barry to change the name. So Charles Froman said, no, we can't go with a title like that. And in the original, and I have a very, very old copy of i think it's the woman's realm with actual photographs of the rehearsals because it was pre-production there's a little girl with a big book on her knee and she's the narrator and she she's obviously vanished now from from the story entirely but she was telling the story and we are used now to pantomimes of peter pan where the man who plays the father mr darling also plays captain hook which is kind of a deeply psychologically weird but in the original it was mrs darling who the the actress who played mrs darling played captain hook which i think is fascinating um there is a real there's a real problem i i think that there's there's, if we go into well you you can't analyze jim barry now you can't but i don't think he was possibly the benign figure in they they had in finding neverland um he certainly um he affected the llewellyn davis family um who were the there were a, a a woman she was a widow she had five boys and um peter llewellyn davis is supposed to be um the the source of peter pan sylvia davis was a widow and when she died jm barry actually adopted all the boys i don't know what went wrong but basically peter ended up committing suicide in later life but it just feels the way he inveigled himself into the family just feels a little distressing and i predatory uh, 
it does because I know that I don't think she was a widow when they first met and then her husband unexpectedly died and I think at one point before he died they were trying to actually get away from Barry so it just it it something doesn't quite I'm I'm not going to make any allegations whatsoever no, no. but something doesn't quite sit right about that it has all the ingredients of a typical yeah without saying anything accusational Put it this way yeah i think this this day and age people if it happened now people would be looking on it with extreme suspicion a bit like the whole michael jackson thing which ironically he called his place neverland and had a huge yeah fascination with peter pan and never wanting to grow up which is it, itself as a strange connection but um i think that the loss of barry's older brother i think you know really didn't help him it helped him with his creative side but i think um i can't see how that could have helped him in any way as a human being and um peter's shadow is is typically understood as a symbol of his own inability to reach adulthood and so his inability to grow old is is actually almost a symbol that he's already dead he yeah. and the Lost Boys are already dead, and that is what the realm of Neverland really is all about. So, again, there's this terrifically dark side. If if you ignore the actual life of Barry, there's definitely a dark side to Peter Pan. Mm. You know, I've and, heard that, uh, that analogy before that the fact that they yeah. actually they are all dead, mm. and the idea that you know they need Wendy to be a mother so they can run away and have their adventures whereas he despises mothers that's very very double-edged you know and i don't think the many feminists who actually like the whole peter pan story because women are very much relegated to the ranks of the baddies you know it is but in a strange twist the you know when you go and see the pantomime version it is always a female who plays the part of peter pan yes yes traditionally yeah whereas oddly it was always a female who played captain hook which i think is really interesting i think it's generally i mean even from the early days it was a girl who played peter pan very petite ladies were always cast to play peter um and it, it's it's also very much about the duality of the female nature i mean tink tinkerbell you know he calls her naughty tink uh, Peter and you know he's he gets cross with her and she gets cross with him and you know she she's not she's not always a benign fairy although she swallows the poison on Peter's behalf which is it's the most moving part of that play I've been in it and watched you know in in pantomime when, and usually Tinkerbell is is a tiny light flitting about the stage and when she dies to see rows of little kids <laughs> children you know, crying openly <laughs> sobbing yeah and then you have to you have to clap but she and does try and kill I Wendy fairies. I know exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. yes so she's, as you say she's, she's not a, entirely benign she, she's no she's yeah. not she's a very wicked tink you know which I think I find that quite humorous I must say but <laughs> yeah but this whole shadow connection though you've got the shadows you've got the fairies the fact that his shadow could be taken away from him it gives you the impression that if a fairy was to obtain someone's shadow it's not permanently attached to them. It'd be like stealing someone's coat. Yes. So, yes. You know, for example, like if you, 
if you lived somewhere cold or it's cold and you wanted to go outside you know in order to protect yourself you need a coat but if you don't have a coat yeah. you steal someone else's which allows you to go out into that environment and survive yeah. so the whole concept of the shadow and it's detachable and could it be stolen is almost makes you think that when sh- uh, fairies are seen or sighted it's usually in the evening or at dusk where the sun is lowest in the sky and you cast the largest shadow yes which i think is well, quite that, odd. that's what he said wasn't it because mm. he said his shadow was something like 14 feet long yeah you know and, yeah and that, which makes it more is, precious or maybe easier yeah. to get because it's so large um or well, it, they, they were rolling more energy it from the head weren't they they were yeah they, the, yeah they rolled it from well one rolled it from the head and the other had these silver shears to cut it from his feet which it's just it's extraordinary i like his take on it his attitude is that they were just pesky little things but what i thought was really quite sweet and and kind of soulful in a way is the fact that he is longing for another encounter and i think you'll find this with anyone who's had an encounter they will spend their lives looking for the next one you know, you know me and, on the hill the other day you know i yeah. almost thought you know because i've had an experience i just thought well this would be the perfect time for it to happen but yeah obviously it doesn't and and that in doing and even just thinking that you disqualified yourself alas had mm. you gone up there not thinking about them then it's possible who knows what might have happened you yeah. know it also brings into the into the discussion as well shadow people you know the ghosts or yes. what people see yeah. which are generally a shadow which is blacker than black could they be shadows that have been stolen have escaped and are still wandering around that's an interesting take yes yeah and 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 that's sort of almost into the voodoo santeria mm. type ideas then the whole the whole thing i mean obviously shadows have value we need to figure out what they represent and i think that's going to change i don't think it's going to change dramatically by culture but there are going to be little sort of uh twists on on the whole idea of the shadow Hmm. but it, it does seem so much part and and such a valuable part of the self and for something it's also fleeting it's also you can only spot them at certain times weather has to be just right yep. in sunny california you'd think there'd be lots of fairies after all this the shadows you know yeah and in places where there's a lot of sunshine you'd think they'd be they'd be after shadows but it seems to be in our sort of you know the 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 west of europe really seems to be the main thing and mainland europe yeah yeah and and the idea is that with us shadows are a constant companion there's there's this film of children on youtube trying to run away from the shadows <laughs> which is quite amusing yeah. but but it's it's interesting that it is such a fleeting thing and maybe early man when their shadow appeared it took them a while because this this is the idea you know recognizing yourself in a mirror mm. is supposed to be sort of one of the first steps to this sort of idea that you know you realize you're a conscious being and you're there and perhaps the shadow was the the way that early man was like oh yes that is me yeah you know rather than reflected in a pool or anything like that and also fairy sightings are seasonal you would always attribute a fairy sighting or they generally occur during the spring and the summer yes yes when when the sun is out yeah occasionally autumn but you can have a you can have a glorious autumn sun 
um, always very low again always very low in the sky because it's autumn therefore you're casting a much larger shadow than you normally would but dusk uh, dusk in the summertime is always the typical kind of environment where you would normally have a fairy experience maybe the shadow is one of the key things i'm not sure but it just seems very very precious to them maybe in one way as i say something that can be worn and used to enter our dimension um without being detected maybe i'm not sure so yeah shadows definitely some food for thought regarding fairy folklore and i think we'll take a short break now eh, fiona and we'll come back in a moment an encounter with the wee folk you can't explain we'd love to hear about your experiences send your tales to stories at the fairypodcast.com so that was really interesting linking the whole idea of shadows to fairy lore yeah it certainly got my creative juices flowing in that respect i've never looked at shadows in such a in the context of fairies so much before but having had a look there's so many links and potential elements there that i don't think many people have looked at before indeed um but something i wanted to mention which is slightly off topic is if for those of you on twitter do go and have a look at folklore thursday so that's capital f for folklore capital t for thursday it's been going for five years and it's a fascinating resource it doesn't just cover fairies but a lot of uh european even american um folklore um it's really really interesting site it's followed by the likes of guillermo del toro who did pan's labyrinth and it's a fascinating resource for anybody interested in strange tales and really where they came from yeah i do follow them on facebook and i I, daily i go and click on their links because i would say seven times out of ten as well it's generally fairy based as well um yes very much very very a lot a lot of good fairy stuff on there they they support my writing which is lovely and i've written a piece for them um they were mentioned in the guardian within a very very short time of setting up because they cause so much interest and it just shows mention the word fairy and everybody is there. So whilst we're, we're sitting here thinking, oh, we're besieged because, you know, poor us, there aren't that many people interested in fairies. I'm sorry, no, look at their figures. Yes, there are a lot of people interested in fairies. So I think that about ties up the show for um, episode number six, but we will be back soon. As I say, the, the weather is good. We're getting the creative inspiration that we need to knock these shows out so I've no doubt me and Fiona will be back soon uh, with something interesting for you indeed we'll see you next time bye for now take care bye subscribe via your favourite podcast streaming service and follow us on Facebook and YouTube